0: Open, they're away in the golden slipper. There's a great start, and Mick bit basket on the extreme outside is about the first out yet for it. Jaggler on the outside lunging, but Catelyn Opening just in front. Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catelyn Opening has lost him to win the Doncaster by a hit the juggler. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing, and English. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yealing Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales, Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold, and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders' Association May Yealing Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. Kevin Langby knew his riding days were over as he brought Rising Prince back to scale after finishing unplaced in the Carrington Stakes at Randwick on New Year's Day 1987. He'd been dealing with a troublesome back for quite some time and finally the old injury had got the better of one of Australia's most celebrated jockeys of the 70s and 80s. Highlights included four Sydney Jockeys premierships, three golden slippers, two AJC derbies, a WS Cox Plate and many other Group 1 races on some of the best horses of the era. During his golden years, Kevin became a prime target for press photographers and television cameramen with his distinctive style of riding and his trademark shoulder-length hair. He handled his spectacular success in racing with great humility. He handled a couple of failed marriages and three tragedies in his personal life with great dignity. About 12 years ago, he showed the same resolve in dealing with a cancer scare. Never one to sit around feeling sorry for himself, Kevin Langby has done many things since quitting the saddle 33 years ago, including a two-year stint as a stipendiary steward and a few years as a bus driver. If you think the life of Kevin Langby would make a good book, you're too late. That happened in 1988 when Lester Townsend Publishing put out a lovely biography called Born to Ride, written by Mick Contos. This is a long-overdue podcast with the remarkable Kevin Langby. Kev, thanks for joining us. Great to catch up at last. No, pleasure mine, John. You're seventy-four years old, mate, as if you need reminding. And you yeah, are now <laughs> You're now entitled to slip gracefully into retirement with a million wonderful memories of a life well played.
1: No, it's been a good innings, John. I was very fortunate long way along.
0: You were born and reared in a great racing town, Orange, in the Central West, with no actual racing background in the family, but you tell me your dad loved the races, and he took you to meetings all over the place.
1: Yes, uh, I used to play football for De La Salle College of a Saturday morning. Uh, Dad would be hanging around. Mum would have a basin of water in the car, have a bit of a sponge up, and we'd we'll be heading towards Bathurst, Cara, Wellington, Dubbo, you name it. It mm. was great times. Mm.
0: You mentioned De La Salle College. Uh, that was the venue for most of your education. How did you rate yourself as a scholar?
1: Not the best, John. I used to like sports and racing better. Yeah. I wish I had a uh, exam for it.
0: <laughs> You'd still be at De Well,
1: I don't about that. I couldn't wait to get out of the place.
0: <laughs> your dad knew a few racing people in the area and he was able to get you a start with a bloke called Max Wardell in Orange, and he was your very first boss.
1: Yes, uh, actually, Max's father used to have a barber shop in Orange, and uh, one of the chairs was a uh, statue of a horse. Uh, you sit up there like the horse's neck came out, and yeah, you thought you were riding a little pony. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, from uh, from there on. Uh, yeah, I just started working for Max for a few years, then I went to uh, Dick Cornish.
0: Yeah, well, Dick Cornish was a very successful trainer in the area, and he had a strong reputation. Kev, whenever he brought a horse to Sydney, people were wary of it.
1: Oh yes, yeah, he was like a T.J. Smith around the bush at the time. You know, there's five races or six races. Rarely, yeah, uh, Dick would probably train at least two or three winners every meeting, never mm. failed.
0: No. He got you started riding in barrier trials, didn't he, uh, at Orange, and you'd have been champing at the bit by that stage.
1: Yes, I was very fortunate. Uh, I was allowed to ride. Jim Mean was the steward up there at the time. Uh, As I say, I was fortunate enough to be able to ride the trials so young. Mm. Uh, I think Jim uh, was willing to give me a licence earlier in the time, and my dad said no. He can go to Sydney. If he doesn't make it down there, he always come back. So Mm. I wasn't very happy with my dad's opinion at the time, but he proved right.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, he was keen for you to come to town. And you were lucky enough to be signed up by a legendary horseman called Fred Hood, who at the time, and this is hard to believe now for younger people listening to us, had his stables at Mascot. And he worked his horses at Rosebury Racecourse, which was only a stone's throw from Mascot. And Rosebury, Kev, was swallowed up by the developers in 1961. Did you actually get to ride work on the old Rosebury track?
1: Yes, I got my uh, licence there. At that time, I only had to ride in three barrier trials. Mm-hmm. And that was a beautiful track. It was all sand and bushes in the middle. Uh, but the course proper, that was amazing was really it? good.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. unbelievable. It had a fairly long history, Rosebery. It started off in 1906. Uh, it was used primarily as a pony racing course. The ponies were very popular uh, in the early part of the 20th century in Sydney. And, you know, later on, Kev, the Rosebery race course was used uh, to house the military. In fact, the Australian light horsemen, Actually trained uh, on the Rosebery Racecourse whilst waiting to uh, to be shipped to Albany, from where they went to Egypt during World War One.
1: Oh well, it's got a good title after, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a great <laughs> it's history.
1: Well yeah, yeah. I didn't realise that.
0: Mm.
1: No, but was, as I say, it was a lovely track. And you know, sometimes I wish I kept kept the game because, uh, as I say, it was all sort of sand base, and i reckon you could have raced any time of the year. Mm. there any problem.
0: When Rosebery closed down in 61 Fred Hood moved his operation to Rose Hill and you went with him. You were 16 yes. I think just yes. and pretty exciting stuff at 16 years of age.
1: Yeah it was good. Uh, well I think there was more or less closing the track down. He um, got the option to buy Prospect, Prospect Street Rose Hill uh, close to the race course so uh, yeah, we packed up and took the lot up there. We'd done a bit of work. I never knew I could uh, lay bricks and uh, <laughs> do as much training as I did, but, I learnt, yeah, we all learnt how to do things, so we all chucked in and uh, helped out.
0: Rose Hill has changed so much. Today, hundreds of horses are housed in a massive complex on course, but back in your day, there'd be a racehorse in every second backyard.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, then we had... Yeah, had the, uh, well, not the opportunity But the only way we get across the racetrack Was across uh, James Shoes Drive mm-hmm. And that was bad enough back in those days and I hate to be trying to do it now Unless there's a set of lights there
0: mm-hmm. Let's pay tribute to your old boss, Freddie Hood I can still see him He was always dressed to kill And he often wore a bow tie He loved a joke And couldn't he tell a story?
1: Oh yeah, he was pretty good at it <laughs> used to have us in stitches over dinner of a night after dinner. He'd be mm. just telling stories, which uh, we, I think there's about four or five apprentices sometimes. Mm. We'd be all ears this, listening to him when we'd come out of the uh, lounge room. we wonder if he was telling the truth or not. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> we, believed, we believed most of it.
0: Yeah. Kev, I think he'd been a successful hurdle jockey in his day.
1: Yes, Uh so we've been told, and uh, yeah, mm. I believe that. And I think he used to have something to do with the ponies back at the when I'm getting back a bit now. The Roseby thing, mm. I think there used to be a trainer there called Baron's Bob Baron Skelton or something. Mm. I think my old boss used to have a couple of ponies there, not 100% sure on that, but he used to talk about it a lot. But uh, yeah, then he got into the, uh, the riding over the jumps.
0: Mm. His son, Fred Jr., Better known as Mick in later life, was a very successful jockey. He then trained for a lot of years, and I was very sad to learn only recently that Mickey Hood had passed on. He was tremendously well respected. And you remember him from the early days when he was still riding, Kevin. He had a lot of talent.
1: Yes, well he used to uh used to be a heavyweight too, like like old Fred and uh mm. yeah, he used to ride work with us and used to help us out a bit and telling us what to do and things like that because we used to ride together. Mm. Uh, we didn't have a, a heap of rides when I when we were still riding together, but uh, I remember him getting associated with Bogan Road. Yeah. After his regular rider got killed, I think it was up at Broken Hill or Burke, and, uh mm. Yeah, Mick won one of a few races on Bogan Road. Now he's a very accomplished rider, very just unfortunately he was so heavy.
0: I think uh, Billy Gallagher was the name of the jockey who had been Bogan Road's previous rider. And you're quite right, he lost his life in a motor accident, I think somewhere near Burke. It was very yeah, sad. Right. Big news yeah, at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, surprisingly, Fred Hood didn't train your first winner. That honour went uh, to Dodger Reynolds. Horse's name, Kev?
1: Brave borderer at Good. Newcastle, 1962.
0: 1962. How well do you remember the race?
1: Well, I double checked it. Uh, I got a photo on the wall. Mm. <laughs> so that's how I knew. I thought that might come up today, so I double checked
0: it. Good boy. Did you lead?
1: No, no. I was well back in the field, rushed down the outside. Mm. Yeah, got up about half a length, I think it was.
0: Mm. Good yeah, feeling?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, great. You never forget.
0: You would never have dreamed when you went past the post that day on Brave Borderer uh, what lay ahead. I mean, a magnificent career ahead of you and you wouldn't have had an inkling.
1: Oh, no, no no way in the world. I never thought I'd you know, be quite, success, quite successful as I was. But, mm. uh, no, it was, it was a great feeling, as I say. You never get your first winner. Actually, I'd be first fall off the damn same horse too, so... Yeah, I do remember him well.
0: (laughs) Freddie Hood was a very clever, very cagey old world trainer who gave you a lot of opportunities. Let me just throw a few names at you for a quick comment. I seem to remember a horse called the Strolling Vagabond.
1: Yes, he was a, I think he was an English Dallian. Yeah. Yeah. I think by by the name of uh, Irvine owned him. Yes, uh, I used to ride in work every morning. Fred used to have the same idea. If you ride in work, you can ride on race days. So yeah. he stuck with me with everything.
0: Mm. Oh, he was great. What about Blue Clan? Wasn't he a lovely old horse? He, he was very good for you at that early stage.
1: Yes, he'd come. He'd be running last at a six furlongs flying or 1,200-metre flying. Mm. Then you come out in a mile race or a 2,200 handicap and you lead all the way. So he's very versatile.
0: Freddie Hood trained the first really good horse that you got to ride. You won a Doomben Cup and a Metropolitan on striking force in the 1964-65 season. I think he had seven stone one in the Doomban Cup and eight seven in the Metropolitan.
1: Yes, he was another top horse. You know, unfortunately he had bad legs. I thought... Uh he should not only won the Brisbane Cup one year and we had him in uh, ice buckets all over the weekend for the Monday Cup because his joints after the Sunday started mm. to swell up a bit. Mm. And, uh, yeah, if he, if he stood up, he could have been a lot better than he was. he's yeah. very fortunate I won uh, wait for age races on him also. So, mm. yeah, he was very popular with me.
0: Now, Kev, let's stick with the AJC Metropolitan for a while because you won it five times. After striking force came Onsadon in 1971.
1: Yes, I think he he uh, carried uh, seven and five, I think.
0: He got fans. in light, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think TJ had him where he beat the handicap. I think he won four or five races lead up to it. They couldn't penalise him.
0: And then four years later, Bon Taint. I think he led all the way, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he drew uh, the outside barrier. He was in front of going past the winning post the first time. I think he was, I think he only had seven stone one or something like that tur seven mm. two or
0: something. Yeah. How light were you then?
1: Oh, I was right. had to. Mm. <laughs> bit different these days.
0: Yeah. Gee, it stood you in good stead though, Kev, didn't it? Brought oh, a, yeah, yeah, Brought a lot of good rides your way in big races.
1: Well, a lot of us were brought up together, you know, Ronnie Quinton, Neil and Neville Voight and people mm. like that. We could always – we could all ride lights. so mm. You know, there's a bonus, we always pick it up light rides at those big races. Yeah. Now,
0: 1973 brought your fourth Metropolitan, and what a lovely, lovely mare she was. She's one of the best I saw in that era, Anna Lee.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, that was a great win. Yeah, I think I was running about fourth, fifth on the fence. And the leader's started to come back there one time and Ray Silk got right outside of me. He said, don't worry about moving yet. He said, I'm, un- I'm in trouble. Mm. You get out. And as soon as he said that, he dropped back and I got out. Mm. Yeah, it was a good win, strong win.
0: She also won a Doncaster as a three-year-old filly.
1: Yeah, I think Ronnie Quinton rode her that day. Mm, I think I did. was on something else with
0: TJ. Now, your fifth and final Metropolitan was on one of the most popular horses of his era. Ming Dynasty for Bart in 1978. You only rode him a couple of times.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just more or less uh, linked up with Bart at the time and uh, yeah, brought him up from Melbourne. Yeah, I think he had about 59 kilos, if I remember. And I think he beat Arwen, which only had 7 7 or 7 6 on his back. Yeah. He kept a strike hard win. I thought I was gone a few times, but he put his head down. He knew where the post was.
0: Mm, he certainly did. You mentioned Neil Campton's name. A moment or two back, you and Neil dead-heated one season in the Sydney Apprentices Premiership. Yes, and
1: the the numbers weren't very high. I think it was either 16 or 18 apiece. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's how hard it was back in those
0: days. Yeah, the kids just didn't get the rides they get today, do they? Allowance or no allowance.
1: Well, that's right. And we outmode our allowances pretty early back in those days because, you know, get on and, yeah, that's about it, and all of a sudden somebody else is coming
0: up. Mm. When your apprenticeship finished, you furthered your horizons by accepting an offer to become stable jockey for Arthur Ward at Randwick. Now, Arthur had been a champion jockey and he'd made a very successful transition into training. His principal owner was Sir Frank Packer, who was obviously a fan of yours because... So Frank offered you a retainer to ride every horse that he had in the ward stable, and that arrangement lasted for a couple of years.
1: Yes, yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was a nice surprise, as you say, just coming out of my apprenticeship, and he uh, got in contact with my boss and uh, see if I was interested. After I came out going in, and yeah, mm. otherwise if I probably didn't get that offer, I probably would have stayed at Rosehill, but yeah. The offer was uh, to write sources and uh, to move to Rambik, where I start writing work, and mm. eventually after a couple of years, uh, in between that time I start to write work with Tday mm. when I finished with Arthur Wards sources, and uh, mm. yeah, things just snowballed from there.
0: The retainer with Sir Frank Packer came to a an unpredictable end. you uh, wrote foresight for Sir Frank in the Doncaster. Uh, Finishing second from a very wide barrier, you were drawn in the car park, and I think you were beaten only ahead by Bye Bye. The horse was in the All Age Stakes the following week, and to your amazement, you were taken off him.
1: Yeah, I rode him uh, just rode him around the centre on the on the Monday morning. Uh, I got off him, and uh, Arthur came up and said, "Oh, by the way." Uh, you're not riding him this afternoon. I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? He said, uh, George Moore's riding him. Mm. Oh, I said, you're kidding. He said, no. Nah. And, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know what really happened, but uh, I heard uh, George supposed to have got onto somebody and said the horse should have won. I don't know. Should have won the Doncaster. I don't know how, but mm. George his back. Midfield on something of Tommy Hills, I think it was. Mm. And uh, when he told me that, I more or less got off guns, uh, Foresight came back on a button. Uh, TJ heard that and he said, Well, George Moore was supposed to be riding one of mine. He said, If George is riding yours, you can ride his, ride that, my horse. Is that how That's, it happened?
0: Uh, is that how it happened?
1: Yeah, yeah, because those days you didn't have to de- declare riders, you know, like yeah. they do now. Mm. Of course, foresight won, and uh, I think uh, I think TJ's horse is Rumoroso. Could be, might be, i sure, but yeah, he finished well back. So Mm. yeah, uh, Rumoroso was
0: a handy horse too. He won plenty of races.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. So two days later, I go down to the Frank Packer's office, and uh, yeah, it was a bit. Well, I don't think it's a surprise that I came in, but uh, yeah. He didn't say, I think, the reasons why, whatever, paid me out. and uh, Yeah. He always said to me if I need anything or need help with anything, the door was always open, which I appreciate it.
0: Oh, my word. So you, you terminated your contract with Sir Frank and picked up the cheque and then bolted.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> In case he changed his mind.
0: <laughs> now, Kev, was this about the time you received the – very sad news that your dad had lost his life in an industrial accident at Orange. He was in his 40s. And uh, how sad it was that he never got to see the wonderful days that lay ahead uh, for, for his son, Kev.
1: Um, yeah, probably a couple of years after that, John. Uh, was actually, it? Hmm. yeah, actually the in- incident happened at Marylands, one of the fast Dan Fox's engineering buildings. It was, yeah. I oh, was he, he in went- Sydney by then? Yeah, yeah, they moved oh, mum and uh, yep. dad moved down. yeah. Mm. Uh, he was going to races all the time, of course, yeah. He just, unfortunately, he was a foreman there and he looked for some paperwork, walked in the shed and a uh, big cylinder broke away and, yeah, hit him. Oh, goodness me. So that was, yeah, pretty sudden.
0: Awful setback for you and all the family.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Kev, you tell uh, me that never at any stage... Did Tommy Smith actually say to you, Langby, you're my stable jockey? It never happened, did it? It just evolved.
1: Yeah, never ever said it was, you know, but then if you took another ride in a race or something, if you mm-hmm. took one bit before they rang up at 4 o'clock yeah. to tell you what to ride, he'd blow up. He'd say, well, you, you know why i got runners in the race, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so at the finish you just waited until 4 o'clock. Pauline Boucher would ring up, the secretary, tell you what you're riding. And uh, Mm. if you didn't have a ride in some other race, you know, you'll sit back and uh, accept the ride. But, uh, yeah, it's funny, as you say, nobody never ever admitted that I was sort of come out and say I was a stable rider.
0: Mm. Do you remember winning a race for TJ Smith at Randwick one day in 1966 on a horse called Oliver Twist, Two hundred to one. How would that one get under Tommy's guard?
1: I don't know. It got under my guard too because I'd never <laughs> seen it. i never heard of it. Yeah. I know it got under Dick Smith's guard, the owner, because yeah. I know it, found out later he had something on it. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it was a big win made in a New Year's gift. Yeah. It beat the odds on favourite, which was Anthem. Ridden mm-hmm. by George Moore and trained by TJ Smith. Yeah, beat the,
0: the fancied stable mate. You must have been stunned, were
1: you? Oh, I was stunned. I don't think I was. I must have looked the same as TJ when I came back in because he was a pretty quiet too.
0: Yeah. Did Moore say anything when you were pulling up?
1: Yeah, where'd that come from? <laughs> I, got, I got no idea. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen it before, never been on it.
0: No. Now, Kev, you completed six full seasons for Tommy Smith and during that time you were credited with something like 621 winners. Is it true he was pretty composed at the races and would never blow up on the day if he was unhappy with the ride? He'd get on with the next one.
1: Yeah, as you were saying, you know, you come back and, or we had a conversation all the time, don't ever worry about the past, just worry about the next one, you know, what's yeah. done is done, kind of thing, you
0: know. Yeah.
1: So which was which was good, you know, it was great because, you know, you try not to let it get to you, which I don't think it really got to me, but mm. everything happened so quick. You know, you could be riding, there's seven races, you could be riding five favourites and two second favourites or something, and you start mm. off a bit bad, you know, you as he said, Don't worry about the last one, just go out. And good thing about most of his horses up near the pace, and if they weren't good enough, well, so be it. You know, so yeah, he's very composed, which really surprised me when I first started riding for him. I thought he might blow up, blow up a bit, but no, he's pretty good.
0: Let's look at your Golden Slipper trilogy, the first 1972 on the Grey John's Hope. You'd won the blue diamond on him and he just scraped him that day, but uh, it took a, a very good one to get close to him, and that was Century. And then to the Golden Slipper, you drew wide. Did you lead? I think you did lead in that.
1: Yes. Uh, oh, the lead was outside the lead.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm, You're I'm right on I'm the popping. pace, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
1: just trying to think now. Yes, uh, Yeah, actually I won three gold slippers and two of them drew out one. The other one drew uh, barrier one, I think it was, or two. Mm. So, yeah, barriers didn't seem to concern us back in those days because TJ's horses used to ping the gates, uh, you know, you're up there, so Mm. out of trouble and it was good, yeah.
0: Well, two years later, you rode a nice filly for TJ called Hearts Hill. She drew one, actually. Kevin was never going to get beaten.
1: Yeah, I think. The uh, horse, Arman Asko's horse called Fiona, mm. I think it led and it got on the wrong leg coming around a turn and ran off a bit. Yeah, and I just got up on right inside, yeah, mm. won nicely.
0: Now, the third Slipper winner is worth an honourable mention. You rode an outstanding filly called Toy Show who came out of nowhere in the weeks before the Slipper. A month earlier, she won a Canterbury Maiden by five lengths then she developed a shoulder problem, which interrupted her track work. She didn't race for over three weeks. She won the Magic Night by four and then backed up a week later to win the slipper from her stablemate, Denise's Joy, and Rosie Air ran third. And then two weeks after that, she won the Sires Produce by seven lengths. Is she the best two year old filly you got to race? Oh, run? yes. Was yeah, she? I
1: think so. Yeah, yeah. And I think when she won the uh, size five I think she held that record for a number of years too. Mm. Yeah, no, she was a good little filly. Yeah, she's one of the best I've been on.
0: Mm. And she did it under difficulty, didn't she? She had a shoulder problem after that first win. Must have missed a bit of work.
1: Yeah. uh, I think they was taken too Brightly Sand for a lot of swimming too. Mm. So that helped, you know.
0: Well, she came back as a three-year-old. I don't think you rode her much at that age. She won an Ascot Vale. She won a 1,000 yeah. Guineas and a New Market, ridden by Melbourne Jockeys. But, Kev, she lost her way as a four-year-old. She she won only one race in 17 starts. It's a wonder they kept her going as long as they did.
1: Yeah, I, I was surprised. No, I don't know why she uh, lost all her form, you know, because mm. she still felt all right. I think I rode in... Cast or Epson there one year, and she wasn't the same horse, mm. but uh, you know, surprised me while they kept them going, so yeah, as you, far as some people say, you know, do yeah. do that, tip it two year olds and things like that. Mm. Some don't come back, so she may be one of those with the hoodoo.
0: Yeah, you won four straight Sydney Jockeys Premierships, now, one of them captured the imagination of the racing public and the media uh, in, a, in an amazing way. It was 1972-73 and you and Peter Cook came into the final day of the season with Peter a win and a half ahead and he looked to have a better book of rides than you did on the final day. Now, what happened? It was a complete turnaround.
1: Yeah, a bit of a surprise, i tell you. Uh, I don't know really, no. Uh, I think I, the luck must be on my side. And I know I did, I, one race I didn't have a ride in, and I rang up, I think, George Chiotis. Mm-hmm. I, read, I think the horse called Red Grissina. Correct. And uh, I rang up George. I said, you ever got, you got a rider for your horse? He said, no. He said, look, I can't pay you. I said, that's all right. <laughs> I said, I just want to ride in a race because Peter Cook's riding the favourite, Molly Brook May. Oh, I Think it was two to one on, yeah. He said, No, he said, It's all right, you can ride it,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I did ride a winner before that, and then I was half behind and holding yeah. below. Uh, Red Reseda got up and beat uh, Molly Mook Braid, yeah. made so, yeah. And I came out on Broadway, hit and won the last, so in yeah. a one and a half wins, but yeah, that's one of the first times I ever rang up to chase chased a ride,
0: yep. She was 50 to one, Kev. She started, yeah. At 50-1, to 1, your three winners on the day were Broadway hit, Red Cena, and Shop Talk. Shop Peter Talk, Cook, on the yeah. other hand, didn't ride a winner. He rode four placings and you finished up beating him 86 wins to 84.5. The media never left you alone all day, did they? I'll never forget it. They had you and Cookie in and out of the jockey's room for photos and interviews. It was a hectic day.
1: But they starting to better get in the uh, in and out of the jockey's room for photos and going in and out of the jockey's room into the steward's room. Mm.
0: <laughs> good point. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, uh, now we had a presentation after last, Brian Crowley. Yeah, that was really good. It was good to build up. It was good for racing, you know. It was, oh. Yeah,
0: well, that was great. Well, the media coverage started on the Saturday morning early. I can remember seeing television pictures of you actually leaving your home uh, with your saddle and suitcase uh, and your little boy Jason by your side and they were waiting outside with a television camera.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought I was there in Hollywood.
0: <laughs> it was incredible and, and it kept up all day long. Now, yeah, just for yeah, the record, Ken, yeah. you, you topped the century in your three other premiership wins and your best score was in 1973 74 when you rode 121 winners. Yeah, very proud of that,
1: yeah, considering the uh, number of meetings we had those times, you know. Mm. So, yeah, no, had no aims of anything, you know. I wanted to win the premierships all the time, of course, but, uh, Mm. yeah, no, it was uh, really good and I appreciate all the stables and the owners that uh, helped helped me to get those numbers.
0: How did the rather conservative AJC committee of the day Deal with your flowing shoulder length hair? Uh,
1: not the best, uh, especially the secretary at the time, Derek Glasgow, he mm. wasn't very impressed at all. Mm. Uh, he did have a go at me one day when I was riding uh, Sir Brian Crowley, saw a dancing lady. He said to Sir Brian, I think we better do something about Angie's hair. And Sir Brian Crowley just looked at him and said, I'm not concerned about bang his head on, he keeps writing winners. <laughs> yeah. So that put him short. But the thing was, you know, there wasn't a hindrance So in your face is out the back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but just because of the rules, you know, well no rules about it. They just expect you to be short back and sides.
0: Mm. And what, what, about, what about TJ? He was on the conservative side too.
1: Yeah, he didn't he didn't care. I think it was, he sent to one of the press guys that was written one of the papers. He didn't care if I wore a blonde wig as long as i kept keep riding winners for him. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, okay. he was concerned. But getting back with it, uh, I got a phone call from, I think it was Jockey uh, Mugante, Mugante or something like that from Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And he said they were going to refuse his license because he had long hair that he followed me. Mm-hmm. I said, well, just chase it up because there's no rules in the racing saying so you mm-hmm. can't have long hair.
0: Right, and what happened? He... Uh,
1: yeah, no, yeah, they, they withdrew the complaint. They... Yeah, he still went on, but I don't think his, his hair wasn't as long as mine. But no. uh, Yeah, they was just going to withhold his licence until he got it, you know, it's ridiculous. Mm. Mm. What are um, they going to do with, with all the girls riding around?
0: Oh, <laughs> t- today? Yeah. Pony tails everywhere.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I seen one the other day, uh, just a Darwin. Most of the girls put their hair up a bit. This mm. one was hanging at the back. I reckon it was longer than mine. It was down to her waist. Yeah. It stood out, it stood out well on a dirt track over at Darwin, I tell
0: you. Yeah, yeah. That might have been a bit over the top, that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah.
0: Kev, we'll pay tribute to your two favourite horses a little later in the interview, but for now, let's talk family. Now, you and your first wife, Patty, had a lovely daughter, Sharon, who inherited yep. your racing genes. She's married to a former talented jockey in Dale Jeffries. She's been training successfully from her base at Parks for quite some time and she is a very capable trainer.
1: Oh, yes. No, I'm very proud of her. When she actually she went up to work for uh, Vince Stein at Rockley Stud mm. and I uh, she said, "I'm going. Do you mind if I go up there for a while? Get a trial." I thought, nah, go for your life." I thought, "Well, she won't come back," which she didn't. Mm. Uh, yeah. Then she said, "She's going to take our license." So I said, well, "I hope you know what you're doing. Seven days a week, mm. you got it. It's harder to train owners than it is to train horses." But mm. uh, yeah, she made a go of it. Yeah, very Very
0: proud of her. Now the genes have flowed on because Sharon and Dale are the parents of Tiffany Jeffries, who's already made her mark as a jockey on the Western Line, and I know you're very proud of your granddaughter.
1: Oh, yes, yeah. Her first day riding, she had two rides, and she won the two races, which, yeah, I was very, very happy for Unfortunately, I wasn't up there for the meeting. Uh, no, no, I'm, as I say, yeah, I'm proud of her. She's done very good for, you know, for a girl... At those times, it was very hard to get rides and, mm. uh, yeah, she's done She's done great.
0: Now, she's had to quit the saddle for a while because she's a mum. She's got a brand-new baby girl called Riley and it's taking Kevin Langby a little while to get over the shock of being a great-grandfather.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. You don't have to rub it in but, <laughs> no, no, very happy. And Unfortunately, I haven't got up there to see young Riley yet because, you know, restrictions and uh, you've got to have whooping mm. cough shots now and all that. But I think she's due for a shot in three months' time and then uh, mm. uh, three weeks' time, then I'll be up after that, uh, go and see her.
0: Kevin, just stand by for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll be back with former champion jockey Kevin Langby after this. You only need to talk to country-based owners and trainers to realize that the TAB highway concept has been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales. The scheme met with some opposition when it introduced in 2015, but it wasn't long before the TAB highways captured the imagination of regional horsemen. Early days, trainers like Matt Dunn, Matt Dale, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the weekly highways. But now there seems to be a different winning trainer every week. For bush owners, the prize money has been a revelation, while punters love the highways as a betting medium. From a media viewpoint, the highways seem to throw up a good story most weeks. The tab highways are a key component of the new face of New South Wales racing. Now, you and your second wife, Lynn, had three children. Two girls... Christie and Candace, and your only son, Jason, who was born with a major heart defect. Now, doctors didn't expect that little bloke to live more than a few weeks, but he confounded medical science by making it to age 10. He was a great little trooper, Kev, wasn't he? And he learned to live with pain.
1: Yeah, yes, uh, you know, congenital heart disease, which means there's no walls in his heart, and... Uh, Petitions and uh, mm. bad blood was going in and good blood was coming out. He had a large liver. Yes, uh, he just lived with pain. You know, he wasn't supposed to live nine days and uh, he went on to nearly 10 years, which, yeah, I don't know how he'd done it, but mm. uh, unfortunately, we had to decide whether they are going to operate. and Yeah, otherwise, he could have just collapsed standing beside you one day. So. You damn, you do, you damn, you don't kind of thing. Uh, mm. We had to give suffering a shot. So, yeah, unfortunately, he couldn't, didn't make it.
0: Your daughter, Christy, is married to Victorian trainer Craig Blackshaw, and I think there are three grandchildren from that partnership.
1: Yes, yeah, two girls and a little boy. And uh, when the little boy was born, Christy, I was down there, and she said, do you mind we named him Jason? I said, oh. no. And would you believe he's yeah. a reminder? I always said to Christy, well, before she got married, I said, Little oh, Jason got to come back and haunt us somewhere. Mm. Well, he has. He's a spitting image of him, says the same things, same little techniques. Oh, I'll be
0: bloody.
1: Oh, you got no idea. Just hearing yeah. anybody sees him straight off no. and Jason knows. Just, yeah, no surprise.
0: He's your clone.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: that's...
1: same thing, same mannerism. Mm. Yeah, light as a cork, Mm. same as Jason Rice. Oh, yeah. Mm. I wonder. This is mischievous, too.
0: Is he? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if we might have a budding jockey in the camp.
1: Yeah, we could have. Mm. He's in the way of everything. I tell you what, he does like farming. Mm. He even gets on a tractor and he he drives a tractor. And he's he's 11. He's been driving the tractors for what, three years?
0: Yeah. Well, we'll look out uh, for him. He's Jason Blackshaw.
1: Yep.
0: Kev, after you finished riding, you decided to jump on the other side of the fence and try your hand as a steward. You joined the Newcastle Jockey Club panel under the chairmanship of John Haig. and I think you enjoyed that couple of years.
1: I did, yeah. I really enjoyed it. funny you take things for granted. You just don't realise how much goes in. Being on uh, as a steward, mm. I really enjoyed it for two years. Uh, yeah I would have liked to have kept on going with it, but uh, at the time I didn't seem to get too far and uh, a couple yeah. of other things popped up, so mm. unfortunately I, had to, I gave it away, but uh, that was very interesting. I really enjoyed it.
0: You tried another branch of the racing business when you became stable foreman at Gosford for trainer Gordon Benson. I can remember turning up at the stables there one day with a TV camera, to do a story on a lovely black horse he had, called the Plough. Have yes. Got that name right? He was a yes. black, lovely you horse.
1: Have... He was, yeah, yeah. And who no, should that's...
0: meet me at the stable door? Foreman Kay Langby.
1: <laughs> yeah, God, I said, bit you know, better need a hand with something. Yeah. I... I thought I'd go in a couple of times and give him a hand, all right, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't know we're going to end up as a foreman job, but a uh, mm. better responsibility, yeah, it was good. And uh, the only reason why I didn't stay there, Gordon took up a uh, position in Macau. Yeah. He said, you want to come over with me? But then they wouldn't let, uh, I just go over there as assistant foreman. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so who knows? So I stayed home, stayed back here. Uh I could have taken over the stables. Yeah, I didn't. I remember Mm. what I told my daughter, Sharon. Mm. Yeah, I said, I don't think I could do this seven days a week. No, no. (laughs) You know, so I just washed my cup of tea. So, Mm. yeah, I let it go.
0: Yeah, you'd you'd gotten too used to the life of a glamour jockey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: Now, to the horse you emphatically declare to be the best you ever rode, the dashing liver chestnut, Imageel, who had 20 starts for 11 wins and five placings. You rode him in nine of those wins. He won his first six between November and late March, which saw him start odds-on in the 1973 Golden Slipper. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, he was involved in a spectacular fall at the 600 metres. Can you recall how the fall happened?
1: no and it took me a couple of years to find out uh at the time brian killian used to be the deputy steward uh Sydney races he used to do a sh- show on the p o going down for the melbourne cup mm-hmm. he got me to go down there a couple of times with him and we used to show different stewards head-ons and uh interference and race films and things like that and he said i got one here today he said hope you got some headache tablets? So I said, why? He showed me the fall uh, of the golden slipper. First I've ever seen it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because it was, was never an inquiry in it. And they said it was accidental. I was never ever involved in an inquiry in before. Oh, but you're... apparently <clears throat> Tottenham missed the start, Roy Higgins, mm-hmm. and I was over in front of him, well, up in front of him, and uh, coming out of the... 1,200-metre shoot, I started to get off the fence because things were going too hard. I didn't want to get in the backwash. Now as I moved off the fence, Higgins is driving his horse along. And I don't know whether Tottenham's changed strides, but his shoulder hit Imageel's offside rump, turned me sideways. I hit the heels in front and then I went and two went over the top.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, the two to come over the top were Baron Bold and a horse called Iago, I-A-G-O. I'll never forget it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was unconscious until uh next day, mm. Paramount Hospital, I think it was 24 hours or something. Yeah, so it was pretty quick. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought he was a special, you know. Well, you never say good things, do you? Because oh, we no. taught him the week before by four lengths, and, uh, mm. I don't think Tottenham would have improved four lengths going in a week going to
0: the Golden Slipper. So, no, no. yeah, when that got away. Oh, yep, absolutely. The horse's recovery from that trauma was astonishing. Back he comes to win the Hobartville Stakes by four lengths, the Canterbury Guineas by almost two, the Rose Hill Guineas by four lengths. Amazingly, he didn't start favourite in the AJC Derby of that year. That honour went to the Victorian Grand Sidium, who started at even money. You were at six to four. Like a lover was a 14 to one pop. Now, there was no live television in that era, which is a pity, Kev, because it was one of the great derby finishers of all time. You were in trouble coming up the rise. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I was in, I drew the outside, but I led going past the winning post the first time. And he just settles that easy. Uh, and things, well, I want to slow the race down because he wasn't ready to get a mile and a half anyway. And everything kept going around. I got pushed back along the fence and I was back uh, on two or three horses straight up. And I got him to the outside a bit. And as I was wearing him up, I think Larry, Larry Olson on Craig Wynn came out, bumped in. But he hit him that hard, well, I shouldn't say bumped, I went from being in stride, off stride, in the stride, and I don't think I lost any momentum at all. He's won by a short half head. Mm.
0: With like I a know, lover, if beat, yeah.
1: If, if I got beat, I think I'd I'll, I'll be still going somewhere.
0: <laughs> Graham shit him, sorry. You
1: know, just unfortunate how the race turned out, you know. You just think you're going to have the mm. box seat beat or have the box seat and all of a sudden you're back and everything just turns sour grapes.
0: mm Well, you went to Melbourne, Grand City turned the tables on him in the Caulfield Guineas, and Gill went another six runs before his only other win and that was in the Farlap Stakes at Rose Hill. Uh, He struggled a bit towards the end of it, Kev, didn't he? And I remember clearly the day he had his last run in the All-Aid Stakes won by Tauntonen. I can still see you bowling down past the winning post on your way to the barrier. He didn't look right.
1: No, well, I, I rode him in the uh, VRC derby. He ran, I think he ran third. I lost third on protest. He didn't feel right then. He pulled up very suspect, you know, and I don't mm. think he was right after. I think he had problems then. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that just kept him going. But, yeah, he wasn't the same horse. And, you know, c- considering all of this, when he fell in the golden strip he did break four ribs too.
0: That's right. We didn't mention that. No. Yeah, four ribs. You
1: know, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as I say, his comeback was great, you know, and his Mm. his brooding wasn't supposed to get those disses. That he's such a relaxed horse. That's what helped him.
0: Mm. At a quick glance, I think you had 11 rides on the Windy Grey for seven wins. Your first pairing uh, was after the horse had been transferred from Bill Wheelow to Tommy Smith. It was in the 1971 Epsom. He started... At 11 to 2, he was struggling to get that price, uh, you know, in, in the months ahead. He trotted in in that Epsom.
1: Yeah, I think he won by about four lengths, if I remember. Mm. Yeah, no, but yeah, first of all, I didn't even ride him in the lead-up to his work or anything. No. Uh, I just got on him race day, yeah. No, he was... Well, Everybody loved him being a grey and things like that. That racing needed a grey at the time and, yeah, going was a showmanship, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah, his win was great in that
0: day. Whenever he raced in Melbourne, Roy Higgins was his usual rider, but you did get to win a race on him at Flemington one day, the Queen's Plate. I think there were only four runners and he started at 8 to 1 on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> there was four runners, I think. Roy Higgins Road, lawman in it, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, coming up the
0: straight at Flemington, or I think it was Flemington. Was it Flemington? Yeah, Flemington,
1: Roy- Queen's Place. Yeah, mm. R- yeah, Roy said, don't go yet, don't go yet, don't embarrass us, don't embarrass us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it's the only time I've ever rode him down there. Yeah. Which oh, I got shocked because, as you say, Roy, Jerry rising him down there. I must have went down there for something else. A lightweight thing for TJ, and mm. he said, "Oh, well, your motor well ride, God sins." Yeah, he went on to start before, so exactly. Yeah, yes. Uh, that's probably the reason why I rode him down
0: there. Tommy put Higgins on him in a Doncaster one year, nineteen seventy-two, which was probably a bit of a disappointment. He had sixty point five in that Doncaster.
1: Yeah, it's it. It's one about the dead weight. I don't know why, because like. The- I think another time there, a horse called Welsh Prince. Yeah. I think he ran third, Epson or Doncaster, mm. and he'd back him up on the Monday, and I think he carried nine stone 13. So, where well, was the dead weight difference, you know?
0: The difference was Welsh Prince and Gunsend.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, Kev, you later won another four weight for age races on him, the Colin Stephen the Rawson, the Chipping Norton and the Autumn Stakes. And just before we look at his swan song, tell me about this incredible habit he had of refusing to go out onto the track until he got a round of applause. Sounds far-fetched, but it's a fact.
1: Well, everybody thought it was a trick with him, you know, that the riders had something to do with him, but you couldn't get him going. You could give him a slap down the shoulder with your whip or thread the backside dig digging the ribs with your heels, but he was just waiting for it and and a camera flash. Mm. He really wanted a camera flash. Yeah. And then he'll walk off there and, yeah, you can do it with him. But if you didn't get that, you you could be still there, you know. Mm. But he just, yeah, showmanship. He just wanted a, a camera.
0: Now to that unforgettable day, 28th of April 1973, when he lined up for his 54th and final race start in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes, 2400 metres, he was going for his 30th win. He was a ten to nine favourite in a seven-horse field. What about during the race? Did you think he was the winner in the run?
1: Yes, he travelled beautiful away, and I got the front and top of the rise, and he kicked, gave me a couple of lengths. Mm. Now the he just, you know, takes something good to beat him now, and it yeah. did, Apollo 11. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Apollo 11 beat him two lengths or something. But, yeah, I felt confident all the way. I knew Apollo 11 had some class, not knowing where he was. You just hope he got into trouble or something or can't get out. Yeah, mm. but, yeah, just then, he, top of the rise, he kicked, you know, and you think, well.
0: At home now. Yeah, pity. Me, have,
1: yeah.
0: Would have been a just a, a massive finale to an incredible career. The crowd was huge. I can still see the scenes after the race, <laughs> when you took him right back up the straight, almost to the home turn, and you let yeah. people pat him over the outside fence, and he bobbed and he bowed and he lapped it up, and I don't think you minded it too much either.
1: No, I did not. Would have been a lot better if he won, but uh, yeah, Yeah. I just took him back up because it's the people's favourite, you know. And from the Queen Elizabeth stand, it was packed even down on the lawns. Mm -hmm. You look up, I've got photos taken from inside the track, or you could see the back of guns in, but you see the crowd. He's got his head down bowing to him. Yeah, Mm it's the lovely photos, you know, and it's lovely memories. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get many horses can do that.
0: I think a lot of his celebrity status, Kev, was generated by the popular song, The Gunder Windy Grey, recorded by the famous country singer Tex Morton. Tex Morton, yeah. And he was there on the day. He was guest of the AJC, and, you know, he actually came all the way up to the broadcast box during the afternoon to say hello. I couldn't have been more chuffed if Elvis Presley had walked in. Yeah, no, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no. That'd be lovely,
0: yeah. It was great. He came up. He was wearing one of those cowboy string ties and a big ten-gallon hat. <laughs> so when did he got into the room, <laughs> it is, hey, Kev, how fitting it was that in the twilight of your great riding career, a horse like Rising Prince should come along. Now you got to ride him, principally because your daughter Sharon happened to be working at. Vincent, Vincent Deidre Steen's Rocklea Stud at Bathurst. Now, Deidre was the trainer of the horse and Sharon put in a good word for Dad. Uh, you rode him in a, a minor race at Rose Hill one day and you liked him from the first time you went around on him.
1: Yeah, she, I was talking to her on the Sunday. She said, uh, there's Horse called Rising Prince. He's been racing up there. She said, he's coming down on Wednesday at Rose Hill and I'm pretty sure they're going to give you a call. She said, take a ride. He goes, all right. It's all right. So it's a 1,400-meter race, and they said to ride him back a bit. But, of course, I let on him. Yeah, he won.
0: (laughs) Why did you do that? I mean, he just jumped so well.
1: He jumped so well, and, yeah, I was really going to be trapped wide or something, so I just let him go forward and hope something come around. Nobody came around, so I just, yeah, let on him. And most of his races were won by that way, that yeah. way at the finish.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. So, but he gave yeah. you a and good feel,
0: did he, that first day? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Mm. He just showed something and then he came back again. I rode him and won again or something. And yeah. I even got a mate of mine trying to buy him, but they wouldn't sell him. And, no, uh, of yeah, but I never ever thought he'd be a cost weight winner, no. kind of thing. But, you know, I thought he'd be a handy horse. And, uh, yeah, I won. Freight races on him and the Cox plate, and uh, yeah, even the uh, what was it, the uh, the Villiers? I think it was. They said they wasn't going to run him in the Villiers, and I was engaged to ride him in the Summer Cup, mm. so I took a ride on Jack Dedham's horse School, Red God, yeah. And all of a sudden, they changed their mind, they ran him in the Villiers, and they put Larry Olsen on
0: or Jim Cassidy. Oh, it might
1: have been Jim Cassidy, yeah, I think it was yeah. Jim, mm. yeah, it might have been Jim. And uh I said, well, at one, and then uh, they said, after the races, we are staying at the Glenston Motel just down from the race course.
0: Mm.
1: Come in and have a bit of dinner. So I called in there, had some dinner with them. And they said, if he pulls up all right, we're got to back him up in the Summer Cup on Monday, yeah. you're still on him. Mm. I said, oh, that was a surprise, you know. Mm. Yes, yeah, so he came out, won the Summer Cup then.
0: Oh, Tremendous. You won a total yep. of eight races on him, a Summer Cup, as you said, a Chipping Norton, a Queen Elizabeth Stakes, Group 1, Cox Plate, McKinnon Stakes, Group 1. He led in a lot of his races, as you've pointed out, but he didn't yep. lead in the Cox Plate, Kev. You had a ready-made leader in that called Roman Artist.
1: Um, Roman Artist, yeah, which should have been down on the ground. And, you, you know, I rode Rising Prince in the Caulfield Cup hmm. and he did it he does the same thing at Rose Sewell. he half lays out a bit. Caulfield cup, he laid out, and I thought to myself, how he's gonna get around Mooney Valley. Mm-hmm. A good mate of mine who's passed away now, Brian Andrews. He was at the races, so I was talking to him. He said, Don't worry, he said, You'd be surprised how many horses can't handle Caulfield and mm-hmm. they'll get around Mooney Valley, of course it's
0: mm-hmm. yeah. camping a bit better. He never put a foot wrong. <laughs>
1: never laid out. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, got
0: away with it. I was in the grandstand watching the parade for the 1985 Melbourne Cup and I can still see you leading them out onto the track with the number one saddlecloth on Rising Prince. That Cup was won by what a nuisance. He finished a long way back. The two miles found him out. And that was your seventh or eighth ride in the Cup. It's the one Australian feature race that eluded you throughout your 25-year career?
1: Yeah, I, I think I only finished, I think the closer I got to seventh, but I never mm. had any really top rides except horse court to parking. Larry Wiggers used to trade it, but mm. he was in the market. Uh, yeah, there was a problem with him. He never raced after He pulled up ill. So, mm. yeah, I never had great opportunities. But the times, except uh, for rising Prince, there was no races at Ramick on the Tuesdays. So, you know, you go down there for a ride, but when the races start ra- started racing on the Tuesday, you stay at home, you know, you get a full book of rides and you'll be riding a couple of winners. So, mm. uh, yeah, I I just stayed with Rising Prince. There's no way he was going to get two miles. And, uh, yeah, he was good to me, and the owners always be good to me and friends. And, yeah, just to go out. And I think a lot of the owners, more or less, just want to so they had us run in the Melbourne Cup. Oh, and number yeah. one, you know, so... Mm. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was a great honour.
0: Yeah, it's privilege. You got a hell of a shock about 11 years ago when your routine blood test returned a high PSA reading confirming the presence of prostate cancer. Now, Kev, you opted for surgery and you've been fine ever since, but I'm sure you've got a brief message for all of those blokes who think they're indestructible.
1: But I was driving the buses, and I used to do late like shifts, charters, and things like that. And sometimes you're tired, but I just had a tiredness. Mm. wasn't related to being tired from late nights. That was a different tiredness. And I went down to my local doctor, John, which I've known for years. Mm. I said, "I just feel tired." He said, oh, we have some uh, blood tests." He said, "We haven't had P- PSA for a while. PSA for a while." Mm. Anyway, I got yeah, my regular PSA reading was, I think it's 5.4. This came back as 11. He said, I think we're in trouble. Yeah.
0: Oh, dear. So,
1: yeah. So I ended up having the operation done and uh, yeah, touch wood. I've been getting PSAs done ever since. It's all been clear. So right. say, I'm past the 10 years, so they say it's very ready to come back. But I still have one done every year now. So mm. yeah. And I think everybody should go and have one. Done because the CG, yeah, get a blood
0: test, get it early. I got by an early so I'm still here. Kev, well, I'm pleased you are, or we wouldn't be doing this podcast. I know,
1: I know. I don't know who's going to
0: be filling me in. They <laughs>
1: haven't clowned me
0: yet. No. Now, yeah. mate, they tell me you drove that great big bus, that big Shorelink bus, with the same precision and the same silken touch that you used on a different kind of horsepower in some of Australia's most famous races. Were you nervous first time out?
1: I was a bit, but then at the finish, I said, this is the biggest horsepower I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I just looked down on them. Yeah, the first time, it, and, the, and, the, and the funniest thing with it, though, I did a local raj, but then they got me to go in over the bridge, and I hadn't been in the city for years. And I thought I knew the roads. I'm going over to Harbour Bridge thinking I'm going in all of a sudden. No entry one way. Oh, oh no entry one way. You can do you can do things in a car. You can't do it in a bus. No. Oh, it's a quick lesson. Got to get a new street directory.
0: <laughs> and it was a big bus. It was a monster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're pretty big. But no, I, I, I thought I enjoyed it. It was good.
0: Kev, you've crammed a hell of a lot into 74 years, highlighted by your prominent spot among the best jockeys of your generation. Now, you told me that you've got no idea uh, about your career tally of winners, but we figure it's got to be well over 2,000, and a great number of them were favourites. So on behalf of punters of several generations, my boy... Thank you for your support.
1: Pleasure, John. I'm glad. I'm glad they all get didn't get beat those favourites.
0: <laughs> Mate, it's great. I probably
1: would've been run I probably would've been right away out of the uh, country.
0: Yes, and I wouldn't be interviewing you on the podcast. <laughs> and there's one thing too,
1: John. I'm still involved in racing.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think you part own some of the horses trained by your son in law, don't you?
1: Yes, and I'm on the race in New South Wales appeals paddle.
0: All right, and how long has that applied, for two or three years now?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's supposed to be two years, but I think I'm in my eighth year now. Goodness me. So I must be doing something right.
0: And are you called upon maybe half a dozen times a year?
1: Yeah, something like that, or whenever. Yeah, there's a few extras on it now, so they rotate a bit better. But yeah, as I say, I must be doing something right, but... I say some of the people just there probably don't agree with us, but anyway, that's uh, part and parcel.
0: And I think you're an ambassador for the Wyong Race Club.
1: That's right. Yes, yes. With the COVID virus, it changes uh, things there uh, at the moment. Uh, yeah, which is unfortunately, but yeah, I still get to the meetings.
0: Kev, I see but, a yep. copy of your uh, biography, Born to Ride, pops up every now and again on eBay. If anybody uh, would like to uh, to read that book, and it's a very enjoyable one by Mick Contos, keep your eye out on eBay. It's bound to pop up one day, Born to Ride, The Kevin Langby Story. And thanks for joining us, Kev. It's been a delight having you on the podcast.
1: No, the pleasure of mine, John. Take care.
0: And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound.